Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. By leaving a review, it lets others and Apple Podcasts know that this is a show worth listening to. So, if you like what you hear today or have heard on other episodes, please leave a positive review to help others find this show. On today's episode, I talk with Jennifer Bangura, who served as an environmental specialist in Mali from 2008 to 2010. She lived in a village of a thousand people, nine hours north of Bamako, Mali's capital, where she worked with a women's shea butter cooperative and a men's cereal bank association. Then, she extended her service and lived in Bamako from 2010 to 2012, where she worked on a USAID-funded education contract as a communication specialist. We talk about her service, her reasons for joining Peace Corps, and how she has maintained the ideals of Peace Corps in her home life, now with her husband, who she met while serving. I think you guys will enjoy the show, so without further ado, here is her story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Jennifer Bangura, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Jennifer, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. I'm in your in your home. You've invited me here to record this podcast. It's great that technology allows me to sort of have a, a mobile studio and go wherever the people are. So I'm glad to be in your home that you graciously invited me into. Oh, Basimila. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And just start off by telling uh, everybody a little bit about yourself. So who, who is Jennifer, uh, your background, where you served, what you were doing, and where you are now in life? Great. So I graduated in 2008 from the University of Mary Washington and uh, with degrees in art, history, and French. And I went and did the Peace Corps in Mali in West Africa from 2008 to 2010 for my initial two-year service, and then I extended for a third year with a USAID contract in Bamako, the capital, and then I stayed a little bit longer through um, an additional Peace Corps response contract with the same project. Uh, I was evacuated in April of 2012 um, following the coup d'etat, which happened in March of 2012, and I came back to Washington, D.C., desperately looking for a job, and... I reached out to a former Peace Corps volunteer from Mali about an open position where he was working, and he said he didn't know anything about that, but if I was interested in applying for his job, he was thinking about leaving. And so I applied, and then uh, two weeks later was offered the job, and then I started two weeks after that. So I was really lucky that even though I don't know if I'll ever have a time in my life when everything feels so upside down, that um, I was able to get a job and move to the to the capital of the United States from yeah the capital of Mali, mm-hmm. 
And uh, now after I've lived in uh, D.C. now for five years or D.C. area, I'm in Hyattsville, Maryland, and I'm working for uh, an education technology company that puts graduate uh, programs online for universities. And I'm working as a career services specialist uh, with students that are in those programs. Okay. Now, tell everybody a little bit about Mali. Uh, Since I served in Burkina Faso, I know a little bit about the country. Uh, We weren't actually allowed to go there since the whole, you know, uh, civil war, coup d'etat. But what do you want people to know about the country you served in? Yeah, so I guess this is is goal number three right now, Mm -hmm. Um, this whole podcast, I guess. When I explain Mali to people. First, for my family, honestly, I had to clarify that I was not in Somalia. <laughs> I, I had My dad thought um, I was going to be kidnapped on a pirate ship before mm-hmm. I left. So that was number one clarification. Um, and I, I never went to Timbuktu, which is another thing that people think of when they hear Mali, but I, I never went. When I think about Mali, I, I think about three things. Uh, first is Malik Sidibe, who is the photographer um, that I studied in my undergraduate. Um, he's a photographer. He passed away last year. So he's the number one reason that I actually, I believe that I was placed in Mali. And number two, I think of my host family and, um, and how they made my Peace Corps experience what it was. I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, it's definitely true for me that that's that's hand in hand um, why I had a positive experience. And then number three, I uh, let's see for Molly, uh, music and photography. Uh, again, so those are I guess number one joining number three. But um, the Sego Music Festival and then all the live music that you could go and see in the capital and. Than the music that happens at the weddings and baptisms and um, church. And so, yeah, so those are the three things I think of when it comes to Molly. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little bit more about your host family, because right? not all volunteers have so- host families. Some live in apartments by themselves. I had a, I guess, sort of almost a host family, but we shared the same area, but I had my own house and kitchen. Right. And so, what was your host family like? Yeah, so I. Yeah, maybe like many people, I had no idea what to expect when I was placed in my village. Uh, I lived in a village of about a thousand people, and it was an interesting mix of, um, I say, 75% Muslim, 25% Christian, 100% animist. Uh, and I had my own compound uh, with my own house, my own outdoor latrine. I did this one video um, that I put on YouTube because I was so proud of, like, I'd never lived alone before. I never had my own space. I had my own kitchen area with my gas grill and water filter and um, a writing area and then an outdoor um, an outdoor area where I could p- put my mattress outside at night. And then my host family lived um, behind me, or I lived, I suppose, next to them. And it was the... Um, my host dad was the honorary interim chief of the village, and his wife Annie was the uh, only literate woman in the village. And so she uh, worked. Was my uh, my host dad as I was my um, what we call homologue. I'm not sure actually how we translate that. Uh, counterpart. My counterpart. Um, and so he was the person who made all of my connections to anyone in, that I would be working with in village happen um, that were men. And then his wife, Annie, was my 
counterpart for any of the work that I did with the women. And and just to think about what it would be like to have somebody move in behind your home that you don't speak the same language with. I mean, I just translate these experiences to now living here, what that would be like. And they had had one volunteer before. Um, so they had experienced what that was like before. But just that doesn't have that's that uh, that ease with which you open your home to somebody is not it has to be authentic and genuine and, and honed over the years. And if that's something that in Mali, the hospitality is just that you would experience that anywhere that I was invited to, to all of their meals, to all of their um, religious and family events. And to think how here we, we hold those events very closely and inviting someone to your home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or a birthday. Those are very special and private things that, Mm-hmm. I think I had been waiting for that kind of experience without knowing it. And um, and now that I've come back from the Peace Corps, it's been something that's grown even more uh, in my own home with opening it, I hope, to opening it up to people. But um, yeah, I, I, that's kind of what comes to mind is how, sh- how shocking that was for me to, to so immediately be welcomed into someone's life and that of their children and their own families who lived in neighboring villages. Mm-hmm. And if I was to ask you to share, I guess, one positive memory of your Peace Corps experience, be, be it related to host family or just something completely different, is there anything that immediately comes to mind? Uh, yes. I'll say, well, this wasn't a host family experience, but my the the best and most memorable experience I had was with um, my best friend, Cassie, when we, <laughs> and this is another one of those things where you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? What were we thinking? We had matching, we got matching outfits made at the tailor in San, in our market village, bought one-way tickets for Gao, which was a 16-hour bus ride away at the edge of the Sahara Desert. And, um, we rode a bus overnight <laughs> to Gao, and then immediately you got there. And at the time, I imagine it's similar. You had to text, uh, uh the wear box to, to let the Peace Corps know at um, and maybe it's different per country, I'm sure, but you could take in, in country vacation when you wanted within, mm-hmm. within limits, within a certain amount of days. But if you went a certain amount of miles away from your village, you just had to text this where box where you were, how many days you would be gone, and when you know when you'd be coming back. So she and I both texted the where box when we arrived in Gao, exhausted, filthy, um, that we were in Gao, and here's how long we'd be there. And we immediately got calls from our assistant uh, Peace Corps country director, and they were like, "What are you doing in Gao? We just evacuated volunteers from there. Al Qaeda is, you know, or Al Qaeda of the Maghreb was, is nearby potentially. Uh, immediately, like return, and if you can imagine, you know, being on a bus for sixteen hours and mm-hmm. like with no air conditioning, and we were not thrilled at the idea of returning immediately by bus. So. We literally got off the bus, went to the port in Gao, and bought one-way tickets back to Mopti, waited four hours or so, I can't remember now how long, uh, got back, got on that boat, and then rode a cargo boat 
down to Mopti to to leave Gao. And just the, the experience that we had on the boat, walking around Gao, which felt like a different country and planet coming from the south of Mali, because it was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, it's the Sahara Desert. You have, instead of goats crossing the road, you had camels, wild camels walking across the road. And, um, you know, everyone looked different than um, from Southern Mali. And so that's my probably my most uh, memorable. We, we had another trip through Guinea and Sierra Leone that also had some pretty memorable moments, but that one jumps out at me first. Mm-hmm. And then was there ever, I guess, a, a difficult time in your Peace Corps service that sort of sticks out that really tried you or just sort of something that you struggled with along the yeah. way as a volunteer? Yeah. Um, at the end of my second year, my host mom was pregnant with her fifth child. And um, she had asked the volunteer before uh, me to, she gave the volunteer before me the honor of naming um, her fourth child. And so that volunteer named that. And then she gave me the honor of naming this fifth child. And so I, I gave the name of um, my grand, my paternal grandfather. And then they added another name. And then of course their, their family name. And, how how exciting and what an incredible honor to be asked to name the child of somebody. And uh, I came home, I started my third year uh, with Peace Corps, and you get that one-month break in between. So I came home and celebrated Christmas here in the United States. And I went back, and I called my host mom, and she um, said that her baby had passed away, that the baby that I had named of course, that she had delivered. And just to hear about what that experience was like of taking your child to whatever medical provider she went to in San. I, I was at, in Bamako at the time when we spoke, and I didn't have children at the time. Uh, imagining how frightening that would be for somebody to to tell you at the time it was that her child was was dying and and that it would be okay. Um, you just take these medicines. The baby's going to be fine. Um, I had a friend that was living in San at the time that I called that asked him to go to the doctor with her because um, I felt like something was being lost in translation since uh, she didn't speak French and I was concerned mm-hmm. that the doctor was... Um, maybe only speaking to her in French or not really explaining the whole situation because he thought maybe she wouldn't understand this woman from a village. And I think that was um, some of what was happening. But that that's, was the hardest um, I, that I can remember right now. Part of my um, Peace Corps experience was experiencing what my host mom experienced from what she, you know, explained to me and seeing how you don't have a choice when things like that happen. I mean, you don't have a choice anywhere. You have to move on, pick up and move on. You have other children, you have other responsibilities, you have things you need to do. And I've seen now women around me here in the U S experience really terrible losses as well related to their children and, and otherwise. And that resiliency, I think, that you, um, of course, hope to gain as a volunteer, but that you see around the people that you are living and working with. Um, that's probably the biggest lesson that came out of 
the Peace Corps for me. Mm-hmm. And then can you talk a little bit more about that? Because usually I, I ask people to, to share something that they learned. Usually it's, you know, based on the, the community that, that they lived in, or sometimes it's things that they found sort of within themselves or self-discovery of, you know, having this two-year period with lots of self-reflection and self-talk and just an opportunity to really explore oneself that sometimes we don't have in the go, 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 go pace of the U.S. Mm-hmm. So is is that something that, that you learned or is there something else that you brought back and sort of really changed you as a person due, due to your Peace Corps experience? Hmm. Probably patience. I, I, I um, am not the most patient person even now. I'm, yeah. But I remember at the beginning of Peace Corps when we were in our in-service training and asking... Um, as as what we would be doing was was for the first time for me like really described like here's what your Peace Corps service in Mali is going to look like. I remember asking our trainers like, "Wow, you, do you just feel refreshed now? You've done two years of service. Do you? It sounds like you all take a nap every day, and you're doing a lot of reading, and you're just being with people and getting to communicate and." <laughs> and the I remember the guy with the, the lead trainer he was like no you know now I'm just like what's next I've spent two years living in, in the desert or wherever he was placed and I don't feel relaxed I um it doesn't make me feel you know totally at at peace with what's going to happen next it but I feel like throughout the two years, I the advice that I heard was to just take it in, ex- accept the experience for what it is, what's happening around you. Don't try and force things to happen that can't happen. Um, and even still, you know, you go into it, you have your two-year plan, your five-year plan for either your personal life, your professional career. Um, and yet you can't force things. You have to be open to what's happening around you and you need to be patient with decisions that you have control over and decisions that you don't have control over. Um, I know I went into the Peace Corps with uh, thinking things would turn out differently when I left the Peace Corps. I thought, I'm going in, I'm doing my two years, I'm coming home, I'm going to do my master's in museum studies. Um, toward the end of the Peace Corps, my two years, I said, okay, I'm going to do it one more year, and then I'm buying a ticket for the Trans-Siberian Railway, and I'm riding that train, and I'm going to write, and that didn't happen either. But uh, being patient with those decisions and the other things that happened in my life has made it just such a beautiful experience now that I, um, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't change a thing. And, but I definitely had to be patient and wait for the right thing to happen at the right time. Mm-hmm. And then you, you talked about, you know, these plans that people have and the five-year plan and career, uh, you know, career trajectory. Why, why did you join the Peace Corps? Mm-hmm. Like go, go, going into Peace Corps, what was your mindset? Was there a purpose to doing it? Mm-hmm. I always say, because it's true. For me, I wanted to um, travel, put my French degree to use and and be of service. And I wanted to do that for a significant amount of time. I studied abroad in France in college, and I remember at the end of four months studying for a semester, I finally, you know, didn't freeze up when somebody spoke to me in French in the street, and I felt like I could comfortably, or at least intelligently, reply 
to what I thought they were saying. And so I thought, well, what if I'm moving, you know, France, of course, isn't the same as the United States, but the culture is more similar than, than Mali. I said, if I'm moving to um, somewhere where the culture is going to be completely different, I'm going to need at least eight months just to feel that comfortable. And I think I'll need double the amount of time to actually appreciate that. So then you're at 16 months and it's like, well, then what's another one? Another 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that time frame, two years, people hear it. I think when I was graduating from college and thought, oh, two years, I can't put my life on hold. And it's so funny to imagine that what, how would you be putting your life on hold? You're like, your life is happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's, that's the mindset that I hope that people, they don't have is that Peace Corps is not putting your life on hold. It's, it's your life. <laughs> and, uh, and it's only two years. It goes by so fast. I went in thinking I was going to travel around West Africa, and I thought I would use my French. I didn't use my French until I until I started my third year, um, because where I lived in in the village where I lived, nobody spoke French, nobody spoke English. The teachers spoke French, but I um, wasn't working in a school, so I didn't interact with the teachers, um, and they were all men, and I wasn't trying to hang around. Um, I wasn't trying to be seen as somebody hanging around with single men, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially as a woman, a single woman um, in the village. You ha- have a thousand people. You can imagine that word travels fast. Very quickly. Um, and, and then doing good. I, I think everybody goes into the Peace Corps either thinking they're going to change the world or they're going to change their own world or... Um, and hopefully do no harm and, and, and do some good. I think there's a lot of expectation management that has to happen um, at your your level and then also at the Peace Corps level of what you think you can accomplish, what you can actually accomplish. And, and not certainly I would advise and, and I hope I practiced not looking back and thinking that um, I'm going to go in and make any um, significant change beyond the relationships that I built structures. I think they, they literally are made of mud in the village (laughs) where I live. So the structures will not stand that we built. Hopefully they will for at least some time, but the relationships will, will stay and the memory of how people made me feel. And I, and I hope the way that um, I made other people feel when they recall, you know, that American living in their village, how many ever many years from now, who knows, hopefully in the photo albums that I'm in and then they're in my photo albums as well. So. Mm -hmm. And then you had talked about, um, photography. And so how did that play a role in your Peace Corps service and then continuing on to today? Mm -hmm. I started my uh, senior art history thesis in the fall of 2007 and had the opportunity to go to Venice, Italy, to see Malik Sidibe and his Malik Sidibe's exhibit, not him personally. Um, he had won the Golden Lion for Lifetime Achievement for the 2007 Venice Biennial, which is the the main award of the show. And I just fell in love with his photography through uh, doing my art history thesis, and then was overjoyed when I. Uh, I found out that I would be going to Mali. That was in March of 2008 that I found out. Um, and then always in the back of my mind going to Mali, I, I thought, well, I have to meet. I have to meet Malik Sidibe and share with him, you know, what his photography meant to me and 
what it meant to me now after having actually lived in Mali since I didn't have the chance to go to Mali while doing my thesis. And uh, it was one of those things where it was it was like a comedy of m- mixed moments um, trying to, to meet him in his studio. Of course, I was not the only person trying to meet him. Um, he at that time was very old. He was in his, his mid-80s. And his studio was often uh, manned by sons and cousins and nephews um, who, yeah, who would say, oh, he's, when is he coming? He's coming soon. Um, and so you would, however long you would wait for him to come, he wouldn't come. You would schedule an appointment and uh, it never, it just never happened. And I didn't live in the capital at the time. So I didn't have as many opportunities to, to go and meet him. But one time I, I, um, I found out it wasn't something where you could call ahead and schedule an appointment. You just needed to actually find the studio and, and go there. And he was there and I got my portrait taken by him. That's, that's also one of the more memorable moments of my um, time. My portrait taken by him, my portrait taken with him. I got to sit down and look at some of the, um, the books that he he was in and or where his photography was featured and I shared with him and now at this time I was I was fluent already in um, I was fluent in Bambara the local language and that he also speaks and uh and that that's probably what inspired me to to hone my photography from more than a t- from time to time hobby into more of a craft and to be a little bit more intentional about the kinds of photographs I was taking and framing and composition. And um, while I was uh, doing my third year, I was a communication specialist was my title. So I was writing pieces about the, the work that was happening for the project I was supporting. I was taking photos at training sessions. And one of the photos I took, um, which I'll share with you, is this picture of um, a group of girls and they're, they're all with their heads down, working on an assignment together. And that was with one of the um, USAID education programs through Education Development Center, EDC, um, that was supporting single-teacher schools in these remote, remote villages that um, didn't have enough students or even people to merit uh, a full school. Um, So this particular village was about two maybe 300 people and during the rainy season it it literally became an island because though the rains filled around it and you had to canoe in and out and so there just wasn't even a place to have a school so they would train teachers to teach grades one through six and then just like we had the the single teacher school model here a uh, little house on the prairie style where you you train teachers to be able to teach the sixth graders to help the first graders and in between and so this picture just sticks out in my mind of these these little girls working with their beautiful head wraps, uh, you know, elementary school girls with head wraps on their head and working on this assignment together. And uh, I started submitting photos to photo competitions just to see what would happen, um, not expecting anything to come of it. And I submitted that particular photo to um, a few competitions and... I remember I got an email from IREX that uh, my photo had one honorable mention. And I like to say it was truly uh, just an honorable mention. The picture wasn't on the website. There was, you know, I don't even, I guess my name maybe was there. Maybe, yeah, maybe the email was the only mention that I received. Um, And then I forgot about that. And so 
I, uh, that's how I first connected to IREX. And then I worked somewhere else at, at World Resources Institute for a couple years when I came back and applied for a job at IREX, got past the phone interview stage, went in for my in-person. I sat down in the lobby and I turned around <clears throat> and my photo is, was printed and was next to the, the <laughs> entryway doors and I was like, oh, <laughs> I forget now when I look at, I don't submit photos to photo competitions anymore just because it is it is effort and um, I'm not taking that many uh, pictures of things other than newborns and families. But you, you check a box that they, they do these kinds of photo competitions so they have stock photos for their publications and their own advertising, or not advertising, but um, marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And so I must have checked that box, of course, to submit you have to. And um, there it was on the, you know, in the lobby of the, my future employer. So that was a good uh, segue in with my interviewer of, you know, I, th- I think it's meant to be because you've already published my work here. Um, mm-hmm. And and so now I, um, I have my own photography and video business. I do family and newborn photography and um, what I like to say uh, laid back Peace Corps weddings since I, I'm not into the, the high-maintenance uh, sort of high maintenance weddings. I'm, I'm more of a backyard picnic type, type style. And I have done a few uh, Peace Corps friends' weddings, which is a, is a delight because then you get to reconnect with other Peace Corps friends and meet new ones. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, again, it's a thread I wouldn't have predicted for myself with the photography. I, I wasn't a photographer in college. I... Uh, I did photography. I, I imagined it more as a hobby. And and then it was one of those things that people keep saying to you, oh, have you thought about doing this professionally? Have You, you know, you're, you're pretty good at it. Uh, could you take my family photos? Or you took the really good pictures when we were together last time. And, and then it was, you hear something happen more, enough times that you think, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's where I am today. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't, imagine making it a full-time career for myself um but right now it's really fun to have that creative outlet outside of my nine to five i've seen some of your your current works but i'm really interested to see that one picture in particular and the other photos that you you share with us it'll i'll include in the show notes and you know uh, post a few via the the my peace corps instagram Mm -hmm. but yeah really excited because that that was a big component of my service as well Mm -hmm. was doing photography and i i got to meet a lot of interesting people by just carrying around this big camera that people would stop me and ask, Hey, take my photo. Mm -hmm. And then, then you start up a conversation with them. Right. And I always enjoyed that aspect. I mean, now I look back and I think as many of us, um, I wish I had waited to be invited more to take people's photos. I Mm -hmm. I didn't take, I I wasn't doing street photography or trying Mm -hmm. to take, um, secret candid pictures of people. Um, and in my own village, when I and this was advice someone gave me, I um, took photos and then I would get them printed and bring them the photos so they would have them for themselves because I had read how um, how and you see it if you go into anyone's home they you, you greet and then you establish that rapport and then they bring out their photo album because that's mm-hmm. such an important part of how we remember everywhere around the world how we remember things that have happened how we. Um, feel that our lives are documented, how I have my memories now. I look back at my blog and I'm so grateful for these photos that I have because otherwise I would, I don't know that I would remember those memories. 
Well, I, I thank you for, for coming on and, and talking about your, your Peace Corps story and your experience. Before we uh, close out the show, is there anything else that you would like to share with the, the Peace Corps community at large, those interested, current, and return volunteers? I would be remiss if I didn't mention my husband. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was wondering, I was wondering if like, should I get into this because it seemed like you didn't want it to be a major part of right. your Peace Corps story, but you, yeah. you did fall in love in Peace right. Corps. I did. So I met my husband uh, during my third year. I um, started the Peace Corps dating somebody. It, it didn't work out. And then I, I did my two years and I moved to the capital and I said, I am going to start this third year. I don't want to date anybody. I'm just focused on getting some real professional experience before moving home and doing my master's. Um, and of course, people say this and it's really annoying if you don't want to hear it, but you know, you can't plan for these moments. And I met my husband two weeks after I moved to the capital and, you know, Two months later, we were dating, and six months after that, we were like ready to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am, for, I will be forever grateful to to the Peace Corps for um, connecting me to my husband. And we now have a three year old daughter who I definitely am really into. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and he, my husband is from Guinea. We met in Mali, though, and. I can t- what I love and I hear so much um, and it seems like what you're doing with this this podcast is finding those ways to keep the Peace Corps and your Peace Corps experience in your life. When you come home, it's so easy to fall into your either previous cycle of life or, or a, a new version of that where you maybe hang out with a similar kind of, of people and that's great. Um, but keeping... Um, your mind open to the learning that can happen and the how much more is <laughs> happening outside of of your world than than what's happening in your neighborhood. I like I love my hyperlocal. I mean, I'm the biggest Hyattsville advocate uh, in at least, you know, in my household. But um yeah, so Abdullah of course is my uh, my husband and my partner in life and then also it's it's fun now having his mother come and live with us for periods of time and getting to experience what I call um, the reverse Peace Corps because it, I get to see what her cultural transition has been like or is like and, and keeping our home open now to, to Peace Corps friends, new friends, uh, West Africans, any, anyone from anywhere, um, you are all welcome here. And um, so that's, what I have to mention. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was, I was like, well, I don't know if she wants to talk about it, but that that's the one question. And also I didn't yeah. have a good segue. So yeah. I just left it open that's and, great. and you went there. So well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, probably I've got to put a cap on it because I could talk about him for a long time. So, well, I've met him briefly, but he seems like a lovely, <laughs> lovely man. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's amazing. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's been, been a lot of fun talking with you. And so now to actually end end out the show, do you have a local saying, uh, Bambra or French, yes. that you would like to share with us and the meaning behind that? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was thinking about this, and I, I, if I may, may I have three. Oh, sure. One, uh, the first one is um, what I named my P 
Peace Corps cat after, and that is Alakatile Here Chaya. <laughs> may your may the peace of your day be multiplied. Mm-hmm. And since she had a lot of kittens, her name was Chaya. Mm-hmm. So, and then I thought Kan Kelly Kelly Wuli was always a funny one and showed uh, demonstrated how these sayings really teach you about a um, culture and not just the actual meaning of the saying. And that one means, may we all wake up one by one, because if we all woke up at the same time, that would mean a problem was happening. And so that I, I always loved that saying. And then the last one, which is uh, goes in line with what I learned most about um, myself during the Peace Corps patients is doni doni kononi beaka nidelin. Little by little, the bird makes his nest. And I know we, that's in um, you know every culture has a similar some sort of version of that. And that those birds don't make those nests all at once. So I am continuing to build my nests with pieces of whatever one by one. Well, thank you for inviting me into your nest today <laughs> and having this uh, great conversation. <laughs> and yeah, I just thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with other people. And I think people will really enjoy your story. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, if you want to stay better connected with me and the My Peace Corps Story podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Every volunteer has a story. What's yours? What's yours?